Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the book of Philippians. In this book, Paul calls the church in Philippi to live lives that reflect Christ, even in times of persecution. Remembering this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Let's go now to Philippians chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. Lord, just show that grace to our hearts by opening our hearts and our ears to you and to help us to, to receive it, Lord. Though we may have walked in places in our lives, our past, Lord, just as Paul said last week, you know, looking to the past, he forgot those things. He left those things behind, but he stretched forward, Lord, towards that high calling, that mark that you've given to him before him in Jesus. And Lord, that's what we want to do. Oh, Lord, not forgetting who we are, not forgetting and, and, and pretending that we're something that we're not, Lord. No, we know who we are. But, Lord, we are going to walk in your grace. We're going to walk in the righteousness that you've imputed to us. And, Lord, we're going to stretch forward trying to lay hold, reaching forward to the strength and the power that you give us to live righteous and holy lives, Lord. We're not going to be content just to be under the covering of that, that provisional righteousness you've given us. But, Lord, we want to see righteousness manifest in our lives, but we also know that we cannot do it by our own strength. We cannot do it in our flesh, Lord. On our best day, it will still be not a good day spiritually. And so, Lord, we look to you. We look to you for the finished work that you did on the cross that covered us provisionally before the Father, but also for that work on the cross that has given us now the power to begin to walk these things out. Like that woman that you looked at that was caught in adultery and you said to her, go and sin no more, you could say that because you were offering her the power to sin no more. And Lord, we want to lay hold of that for our lives so that we can be living examples of what you can do with sinful human beings, how you can make them into things that we of ourselves can never be. So, Lord, help us in whatever area it is of our lives to overcome sin. But, Lord, raise us up through your grace, through dependence upon your finished work of the cross alone. How we praise you this morning, how we thank you, and now open our hearts to this passage by the power of the Holy Spirit, your grace living within us. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And God's people prayed. Amen. Verse 17 of Philippians 3, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul now begins what seems like a transition in this passage as he begins really heading towards the close of this letter, but, but it's still connected. Don't lose sight of that. It's still connected. But, but he wants to give them hope. He wants to give them something to look at. He wants to give them something very practical that, that they can set their eyes on as they're beginning to live this high calling in Jesus Christ and his grace in their own lives. And Paul is literally saying to the Philippians, observe my life attentively and become imitators of me in regard to the way that I am living my life for Christ. I like that. Observe my life attentively and become imitators of me in regard to the way I am living my life for Christ. But, but he says more than that. He also says, and also be observant of others who can also serve as examples of how to live for Christ. Follow their example as well. Paul wants his life and he wants the lives of those who are living in Christ to serve as an example for the flock of God in Philippi. He wants himself. He wants others that they know to be able to serve as their examples of what it means to live a life 
for Christ. Now, some people have accused Paul of being egotistical and arrogant here, spiritually arrogant. You can find people who will accuse him of that. There are people who might read this, maybe you would look at it and say, well, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? But, but Paul is not in any way saying or even suggesting here that his life is so spiritually perfect that he deserves to be followed. If you know the Apostle Paul, you know that that's not what he's saying. I mean, all you have to do is read what came before this, and you know that, because what does he do? He goes through all of his spiritual credentials, lays them before him as though he's heading to that conclusion that, look how good a person I am, you should follow. But he doesn't. After listing all of those credentials, what does he say? I count them as rubbish. I count them as dung. And his point was, because they're not enough. Even when I was doing those things, I still was sinful. I fall short. Turn with me for a moment, if you will, to Romans chapter 7. Turn with me to keep your finger here, but go to Romans chapter 7 and and look beginning at verse 14. It's a passage that's a part of great debate as to whether or not Paul is talking about the present in Christ or whether he's talking about his life before Christ. And and I'm just going to say this to you. I think he's talking about both. I think if you understand that, yes, he is talking about the reality of when he was under the law and what what it was pointing out to him and what he was realizing under the law, that 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 makes sense. But at the same time, I think Paul understands that apart from Christ, this is who he is. This is his tendency. This is what he struggles with in life like everybody else. So I think it's a combination of the two. Listen to what he writes, because I'm going to tell you honestly, this passage for me When I'm struggling with things in my life, when I'm falling short of the mark, I go to this, not as an excuse, but I go to it and say, there are better men than me who honestly struggle with sin. Listen to what he says in Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Can anybody say that you're not like that? Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah, that's our lives, isn't it? What I want to do, I don't do. I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, I'm going to live for you today. Yeah, that lasts about 30 seconds until, you know, the first bad mood that swings my way, the first negative thing that takes place, and suddenly I'm off on a tangent someplace. And sometimes, if you're like me, I won't accuse you of it, but if you're like me, then, then you don't even realize you've gone off on that tangent until you're pretty far down that road, and all of a sudden it's kind of like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? And what happened to that commitment I made this morning when I got out of bed to say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Baptize me anew again today. I hope you pray that when you get up in the morning. Baptize me with your spirit anew today, Lord. Fill me to overflowing today. I want to live for you, Lord. My life is yours. It's, uh, I'm before you now, and it's, it's all yours, you know? And suddenly you just say, what happened to that person? What happened there? Sin happened. The, the sinful tendency of who we are happened. That's what happened. And if we don't understand that, then, then we can never get back to where we want to be because the enemy will take that and he'll begin to drive that failure into our hearts to the point it was, look at you. You make these commitments, but look at you. Look at where you are. Look at what you've done. You can't be acceptable to God. How can you even think you can go back and, and fall before him and, 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 get his, and get his forgiveness as you repent of that attitude that you've now copped in, in the process? You just, what a failure. You got, you're not acceptable to God. Did you ever hear the enemy say that to you? I hear him all the time say that to me. 
And you know what I've learned to say to that? Better men than me have been here, and they trusted in the grace of God. So go away, (laughs) because I'm going to trust in the grace of God. It's beyond. Paul says, for what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, Now, Paul's not doing, you know, the devil made me do it kind of thing here. Remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, right? That's not what he's doing. He's not washing his hands of the responsibility, but he is recognizing the fact that, that it is sin in him that's still at work. That is, apart from Christ, sin is at work in us. It's at work in us. It, it, it causes us to, to move in directions that, that, that seem irrational at times. You know, sin is not logical if you haven't figured that out. It makes the most logical person do the most illogical things. Sin, it is true. Sin makes us stupid. It makes us stupid. Brilliant people do stupid things as a result of sin. I have done stupid things as a result of sin. So Paul's not washing his hands of it, but what he is saying is that it's in him. It's in him. It's about him. It's what he's doing. And what he's not doing here is he's not blaming all sorts of other things as the cause. And that's important. And you guys know we've been through it a number of times in in our studies, but there's a passage in James that gives us the anatomy of sin and basically says you can't blame anybody other than your own heart for sin. You can't blame everything else. It's sin in you. It's not even the devil. He just plays on what's already in you. And he can't make you do anything that your heart isn't going to take you to do. Know that. Nor will anyone else. So Paul says there in verse 17, But now it is no longer I, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Now, I want to stop there because there was a belief of that time, and you must not include Paul into that. There was a belief into the time that the spirit is good, but the flesh is bad. Okay, that's not what Paul's bent is. He's not saying that. Yes, there's references to the flesh throughout the scriptures. And yet we know that God will not do away with our fleshly bodies, but he will renew those fleshly bodies. And what God made is good. It's simply been corrupted as a result of sin. But at heart, what God created was still intended to be there. So yes, our flesh, but the flesh is much broader than this physical frame of ours. The flesh is our mindset. The flesh is our heart. The flesh is where we go in things, and then our hands, our physical hands, follow. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Paul's not saying, boy, if I could just be free of my body and it'd just be my spirit, everything would be okay, as some of those were saying in that day. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's still saying that, you know what, it's, it's greater than just this body. It's about the sinful heart within me. That's what he's referring to here. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Now, this is important because Paul is trying to make the point that if I'm left to myself, it's not going to work out. You know, and, and understand, this is a guy who's coming out of the background of, of you got to do, you got to do, you got to do in order to attain spiritual things, like some of you have, like some of us have been taught by people. That somehow if we just set our minds to it, then, then we're going to be able to work it out. But, but Paul's saying it doesn't, because there's nothing good in me that, that dwells. There's nothing in me that's going to enable me to do what really needs to be done. And his life is a prime example because he tried to keep, he said he kept the law perfectly. 
in the flesh, outwardly. He was doing all of the requirements of the law, and yet he came to a point in his life where he realized, I am still not getting there. It's the moment that Martin Luther had. It's the Martin that Martin Luther had. If you know the story, you know, there's good things about Martin Luther, there's bad things about Martin Luther, but, but one of the absolutely good things about Martin Luther is that, remember, he grew up under a Catholic system in a way of life as a priest. He grew up with all of that, and, and the guilt that he was maintaining as he was doing all these good works, because he still saw the sinfulness in himself as he was doing all of these good works, and he realized he wasn't making it, and, and it was turning then into condemnation in his heart. And one day he said that he suddenly realized as he read the book of Romans what it was all about. And he realized this statement of Paul, for I know that that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. He understood that. He could relate to that. He understood it, but he came to the conclusion of the hope and how it would work out. This is the first conclusion we have to come to. This is the first conclusion we must come to to be saved, isn't it? To, to truly begin to walk. It's still the conclusion after we're saved that I would look at you, we still have to come to because somehow we subtly slip into this mode just like we've been talking that, that somehow grace is for salvation, but after salvation it's up to us, but that somehow after salvation we can now do it on our own. Isn't that truth? We do slip into that mode that somehow we start to believe we can do this thing. I got this Jesus thing down. You know, those words came out of my mouth at one time. I got this Jesus thing down. Wow. I look back and think about that statement and say, man, maybe I wasn't really saved then, you know, to even believe that. We can't because I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Yeah, I have within me the desire to do right things. I have within me, and that truly is the mark of a saved person, isn't it? I have a desire to do what's right. I have a desire to do what the Lord commands me in his word. But yet I know that as, as I have that desire, how to do it? Well, that's another matter altogether, you see. That's why I have an issue sometimes with preaching from a perspective and saying, well, you know what, I'm just going to give you the word, and, and then you're going to work it out. You see, that's a wrong message. Yes, I do believe we need to look to God's Word. Yes, I believe we need to be in submission to God's Word. Yes, I believe as Christians, we need to lay our lives down and say, you know what, I want to live your Word. But I'm not going to look at you and tell you that you are the source of making that happen. You can't, you can't pull those bootstraps up tight enough to make yourself live the Word of God. All you will do is find yourself in a system of futility and failure that will lead to condemnation as a Christian, and there is nothing worse than living under condemnation after you've been released from condemnation by Jesus. But that is exactly where you will be if you think you can do this, that if all it takes is you reading the Scriptures and obeying the Scriptures on your own. Yes, you should read the Scriptures, and yes, you want to be in obedience to the scriptures, but ultimately you've got to be looking to the source of power so that you can live in obedience to the scriptures. It cannot be you and it cannot be me. And Paul says, how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. That needs no comment. Amen. Yell at those waitresses, yell at those truckers, yell at those people, you know? Now, if I do 
what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. If then, if I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Do you ever look at yourself and say, how can I do this? How could I have done this? I've said that to people. How could I have ever said that to you? I don't know how I could have ever said that to you. It just makes no sense. It makes no logical sense to who I am. Well, no, it doesn't, because sin is illogical. Because it is. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And that's interesting because Paul says elsewhere about taking thoughts captive to Christ. And here he says sin's taking thoughts captive within him. You see, there's going to be captivity one way or the other, but what you can't do is you can't take thoughts captive to you because thoughts captive to you will always lead to a wrong end. To always lead to a wrong end. Verse 24, I love this. Oh, wretched man that I am. I don't think he said it just like I did. I think Paul was probably, when he's writing this, was just, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And you see, here's the other side of this. You know, there, there are people who leave you with this. <laughs> You know, as though somehow you got to figure this out and work this out and, and get to it. Or they leave you just hopeless, which is hopeless if it's left to you. But Paul doesn't leave you hopeless. Because he says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. <laughs> so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And his point is that, you know what, if left to himself, he's going to serve sin. If left to himself, he, he, in his heart, he'll want to do the right thing, but he'll always be doing the wrong thing. But there is hope in Jesus. And the hope is not just that Jesus is going to cover the sins as he continues to do it. Yes, Jesus is our covering. He is our provision. He is that blood on the doorposts of our life that, that the, the angel passes over and our sins are not held to our account any longer. But, but Paul's more than just some provisional spiritual covering. He's talking about Jesus as the solution practically to our sin in this life. And the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we have our eyes on Jesus, the more we allow Jesus to indwell our lives, the more you're going to find the practical walking out of the things that you want to do but have never been able to do. There are things today that I'm living that I never would have had the power to live apart from Christ. Things that I tried to stop doing in my life, even before I was a Christian, I knew they were wrong, and I tried to stop doing them and could never do it. Then I became a Christian, and I tried to stop doing those things, and I still couldn't stop. But what I found is the solution to stopping those things in my life wasn't me, and it wasn't religious living. It was simply letting Jesus consume my life. Letting him consume my life. And letting Jesus consume my life isn't just singing a Christian song on Sunday mornings, okay? Or singing a hymn in the shower. It's letting him consume you. It's letting him become your life. It's looking to him and letting him become your life, which by, in, by its very nature means laying down yours and dying to yourself and saying, you know what, who I was, I don't want to be anymore. So Jesus, come. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to follow your command as you lead me, but I'm going to look to you 
for the empowerment to do these things. And when I fall, I'm getting back up, Lord Jesus, by your grace, not in presumption, but by your grace, by your forgiveness, and I'm going to look to you again, and I'm going to keep on getting up, and I'm going to keep on getting up, and I'm going to keep on getting up, and I'm going to keep on worshiping you until this thing is resolved in my life. That's the kind of tenacity that brings about change, and it's the kind of tenacity that the Apostle Paul was talking about last week when he was talking about reaching out and laying hold of, laying hold and wrestling. That's the part he's wrestling to the ground, the part of, of wrestling more of Jesus in my life and less of me, wrestling part of me out of my life. Well, enough said. So Paul's not being arrogant. He knows who he is. But what Paul is saying is that even though his life isn't perfect, he's still living it in such a way that, that others can look to him and, and learn how to live for Christ in their own lives, not just in the little things he spoke of, but, but, but living grace rather than law, but in every spiritual area of their lives, you see? Paul, Paul, wants, Paul wants his life to be a living example of grace. That's why I started out this morning by saying about my own life, because what I want to do is say to you that, you know what, I understand that I fall short, but I fall upon the grace of Jesus for those areas, and I'm looking to him for strength to overcome them, so that you too can look and say, you know what, if, if that's where he's living, then I want to live there too. I want to live in the grace of God, not under legalism. And you know what, if, if he can accept the forgiveness, and, and rather than taking condemnation on his life as a pastor for the failures he has, why wouldn't I look to Jesus for that, that grace in my life too instead of the condemnation? But I think Paul's taking it beyond that. What Paul is saying is that, you know what, even though I fall short, I have set the mark on the wall. I have looked to things. I am following Jesus. And as I do, there are things you can look to in my life and emulate. There are spiritual things you can see in my life that you can follow as well. There is a wrong philosophy that floats around Christianity. It's been out there for years. I think it's growing a little bit more today, in part because of this nature we have about not being accountable to anybody or not looking to anybody. And it goes like this. I don't follow any man. I only follow Jesus. You know what? That sounds good, but it's not scripturally correct. It's not. Now, it is in part and, and Paul will get into that about things we shouldn't be following. And, and certainly what Paul's not asking for is blind obedience to men. That should never be. Our first loyalty, our first obligation is to Jesus. But clearly what we're going to find is that Scripture makes clear that God intends and he has given us others that we can look to. He's given us examples that we can look to for our lives of what his power looks like in the life of a human being so that we can say, I want that in my life. I want to see that being manifested in my life as well. What are they doing in their lives that that is happening there? Because certainly they can't be more blessed than me, because none of us can be more blessed than another. Our blessing is wrapped up in Jesus and our identity in Him, and as far as that's concerned, we've been made provisionally everything we need to be. So the blessing's being poured out on all of us, but something must be happening in that person's life that they're enjoying that blessing much greater than I am in my own. They're walking out a blessing that's being poured out on me, but I don't know how to walk it out. So God says, I give you these examples. I mean, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Scripture makes it clear. Listen to these passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. This is Paul. He says, you know, I don't suggest you kind of follow my lead. He says, I urge you, I plead with you. Look at my life and 
imitate what I'm doing in these spiritual things. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he makes it clear, though, about that imitation. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate who? Christ. Now, Paul isn't saying imitate me in the things that I'm doing on my own. Paul's saying imitate me where I'm following Christ. Now, that requires some discernment, doesn't it? And we're going to get into that in a minute. But he's clearly laying before and saying, where you see my life, where it's lining up with the things of Christ, where I'm imitating him, where I'm following him, those are things you can follow in your life as well. And maybe you will learn from me. I mean, I have to tell you honestly, I have learned from many people in my life. I told you this before, I've learned from some of you guys. I've learned things this weekend from my friend Matt. I am a learner. I am a student in the school of God. I'm a student in the school of Jesus, and I learned a long time ago that Jesus sends a lot of professors in my direction, and, and I've always got my beacons out there trying to see what is it I can learn from them, and some of them I look at and say, I ain't learning nothing from them. <laughs> they're gone, because they're not following Jesus. They're more carnal than they are spiritual, but at the same time, there have been people who have, God has used powerfully in my life, and, and I'll tell you, he's used dead people in my life, because I'm an avid book reader. I love to read about the old saints. I love to read about it. I don't agree with all their theology sometimes, but I love reading about the lives of these men, and I love reading more about their lives than I do necessarily about all of their theological positions. I want to know that we agree on the, on the essentials, but beyond that, sometimes I just want to see how they lived their lives. You know, I, Moody, Moody, he's an incredible guy. You know what? We have these images of some of these saints as just being super serious. Moody was a bumpkin. I don't mean any disrespect, but if you know his life, he's kind of a bumpkin. They said at one rally, Moody was sitting in front of the platform, and the guy came out and he was preaching. And I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but Moody was preaching, or the, another guy, he had come into his estate where he would have classes, and this guy came in and taught. And Moody pulled a chair up right in front of the podium and sat there listening to him as the guy was preaching. Moody goes, oh, there goes that one. And he yells out. And the guy was taken back a little bit, thinking, what is this? So he continued going. He says, oh, there went another one. And finally, the guy stopped and he said, what's that all about? He says, the point you just made blew everything out of the water I've been teaching. And you're absolutely right. So there it goes. Keep preaching. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.